This morning's reading is taken from the Gospel of Luke, chapter 6, verses 20 to 26. Looking at his disciples, he said, Blessed are you who are poor, for yours is the kingdom of God. Blessed are you who are hunger now, for you will be satisfied. Blessed are you who weep now, for you will laugh. Blessed are you when people hate you, when they exclude you and insult you and reject your name as evil because of the Son of Man. Rejoice in that day and leap for joy, because great is your reward in heaven. For that is how their ancestors treated the prophets. But woe to you who are rich, for you already already received your comfort. Woe to you who are well fed now, for you will go hungry. Woe to you who laugh now, for you will mourn and weep. Woe to you when everyone speaks well of you, for that is how their ancestors treated the false prophets. This is the word of the Lord. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you for your word to us. And we ask that you would speak to us and bring relevance to your word. That we would be transformed as we meet you through scripture. In Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Just a reminder of, of why we're looking at this today. Why we are looking at social justice. Mark 4 of the five marks of mission is about seeking just structures and speaking out against injustice. And we're spending five weeks looking at the five marks of mission. And they were set up about 20 years ago by the Anglican Communion. Uh, A a committee was formed and spent two to three years debating, praying, reading scripture, and trying to hear from God what the action should be about understanding what mission truly is. And they came up with the five marks of mission. So we're on number four. Number one is proclamation of the gospel, speaking the good news. Number two is then nurturing, baptizing, and teaching disciples. So once you've proclaimed the gospel, you can't just leave it there. You need to build the people of God. The third one, if we are interested and serious about doing the work of Jesus, that needs to go hand in hand with loving acts of service. And we looked at that last week. And that idea that we can't just speak the gospel if we don't then show in our actions what that looks like in reality. Number four is this one about justice, and number five is about care for the creation and God's world. And the reason that the Anglican Communion decided to form these five marks of mission, it sounds a little bit bureaucratic, but actually it was responding to division in the Anglican Church. And the the greatest division was, was between Mark 1 and Mark 4. So you had a group of churches that said, what we are about is proclamation of the gospel. And then you had other churches that said, what we are about is social justice. And really, for some time, never the twain shall meet. It seems almost hard to imagine what that was like, because now everything has melded together, and we are much more um, working across the whole breadth of what mission truly is. 
But if you grew up and remember those days, you will remember the sense that there were some churches who all they, their main focus was about proclamation and other churches were about social justice. And to use this sort of churchy language, one would have been called more conservative and the other one would have been called more liberal. Thankfully, these, those divisions don't exist as they once did. And it's largely because of this work that was carried out. That actually we cannot say that mission is only about this or only about that. It needs to incorporate all these different things. If we look at who Jesus was and how he lived, he was not just one part. And he called us to carry on his work on earth. And if Jesus was interested in the the whole breadth, the whole five marks of mission, then so should we. So as a church and as Christians, we should be looking at being involved in the whole spectrum. And that's why we're looking at this. And that's the work that our mission team has been doing in understanding how we support mission partners and recognising that we want to support the whole breadth of mission. So we're making sure that amongst the work that all our partners are doing, that we are supporting work that covers the whole breadth of mission. So it's really exciting and really good. But number four is this one about social justice. And if we think of mission, again, we've kind of got a little bit stuck of what we think mission is. But if we think of mission as doing as Jesus did, Jesus was deeply concerned about social justice. In fact, Jesus was deeply political. And again, that's something that we're only really beginning to come to terms with, that Jesus was political. We have in our mind our image of Jesus, the teacher, the rabbi, the religious leader, But actually, he was deeply political. And earlier in Luke, in Luke chapter 4, we see it. The first thing that Jesus does in Luke, he goes to his hometown in Nazareth. And on the Sabbath day, he goes into the synagogue and stands up to read. And he reads from Isaiah. The spirit of the Lord is on me because he has anointed me to preach good news to the poor. He has sent me to proclaim freedom for the prisoners and recovery of sight for the blind, to release the oppressed, to proclaim the year of the Lord's favour. Words that were really well known, words that were familiar. This is what the prophet Isaiah had said. And now Jesus is reading those words. And then he rolled up the scroll, gave it back to the attendant and sat down. The eyes of everyone in the synagogue were fastened on him. And he began by saying to them, Today, this scripture is fulfilled in your hearing. That was a political statement. From the very outset of his ministry, he is saying, I have an interest in the poor, in the blind, in the captive. In fact, I have come to bring freedom to those in captivity. I have come to open the eyes of the blind. I have come to bring about a just world. Because Jesus is concerned in us as individuals, but he's also concerned about the transformation of society. His teaching and his actions demonstrated that he was about renewal of society. And that's how he would have been heard in that context. And it was the political message, as much as the religious message, that led to him being crucified. And somehow we forget that edge of political um, rigour that he was giving in all that he was doing. Because again, in the UK, we say, oh, we mustn't talk about politics or religion at dinner parties. We just don't do that. We're very private. 
And we certainly don't combine religion and politics. <laughs> and Jesus was both. And sadly, the church has lost the true sense of what it means to be political. It doesn't mean that I stand here and tell you how to vote at the next election. Perhaps I'd like to be able to do that, but that would not be right. It's not about party politics. But Jesus was deeply political in its true sense because he was interested in how society works. The risk with the mission of being only about proclamation of the gospel is that that can be a very individual religion. It's about your own salvation with Jesus, and that's hugely important. But if it stays there, you forget about the role that we have with society. And Jesus wants transformation of people. He wants people to come back to God. But he also wants society to be transformed, because as people are transformed, so society should be transformed. And we pray for God's kingdom here on earth. It's not a... a, a kind of physical being. It's about the rule of God here on earth. And God's rule is just. And we want it to be just. So therefore we have a part to play in speaking out against injustice and working to have a just society. And that's hugely challenging because what does that look like and what does that mean? The reading we've had again from Luke is basically the Beatitudes. If we had read it in Matthew, we would have seen the whole context, again, of how Jesus is teaching. So Jesus is coming with a message that's political and will cause anger. And where does he take it? The Beatitudes form part of the Sermon on the Mount. So Jesus is not going into one of the public places where debate normally happened, to one of the buildings, He's going out to the outskirts, up onto the hills, and gathering around him a load of social misfits. And he is speaking to them about what he's come to do. So immediately he's speaking to the wrong people. If you're important and are a bit cross with this this rabbi, that is what you're thinking. He's speaking to the wrong people, but of course he's speaking to the right people. Because he's speaking to the people that are on the edge of society and have not had a voice. And he's saying, I'm talking to you because God is interested in you. And his kingdom is about you having a place and belonging as much as anybody else. And the Beatitudes are upside down. They're speaking into the opposite of what the society knew. Blessed are you if you are poor. Well, that wasn't happening. The poor were the outcasts. They didn't deserve anything else. And Jesus says, for yours is the kingdom of God. Blessed are you who are hungry, for you will be satisfied. You belong. And actually, I have a message. I'm the bread of life, and I've come to give you the bread of life. And you will receive it. You actually know what it means to hunger. And the irony is that if you know hunger, you know your need of God and Jesus. And so therefore, that blessing comes because people are actually approaching Jesus saying, we need you. If you are full and self-satisfied and can get through life on your own, it's much harder to recognize your need for Jesus. So therefore, you don't experience the blessings of knowing him. So there's a truth in what he's saying as well as a political statement. Blessed are you who weep, for you will laugh. Blessed are you when men hate you, when they exclude you and insult you. Jesus is 
preaching the upside-down kingdom. And it's radical, it's challenging, it's political, and it shouldn't just remain in Jesus' day. As he left and commissioned his disciples to carry on his work, this part of carrying on the work was as important as preaching and teaching and baptizing and nurturing and pastoral care and caring for the planet. They all sit together. And it should never have been like this. Jesus' message follows on from God's message all along. God has always cared for those on the edge of society. And if you read the prophets in the Old Testament, the anger of God to his people is because they have forgotten how they're meant to live. If you read Amos, Hosea, God is saying, you are not living as I've asked you to. I've asked you to care for the orphans and the widows, and you are not doing that. Because when God set up his rule and explained it to his people, it was to care for all and to take particular care of those on the edge. And his people had forgotten that. And even of their own people, they had neglected the poor, the orphans, the widows. And it should never have been like that. So Jesus' message isn't new to the Jewish people. It's a repeat of what they already knew an emphasis on how they should already have been living. And so we need to hear it with those ears as well. God has told us how we're meant to live. And caring for justice is part of that. So what does that look like? How on earth do we have this political edge, this radical edge? Is that right? Is that proper? Shouldn't we be devoting time to other things? Well, not if we're going to look at all five marks of mission as equal. So we have to consider what that means. Now, part of how we do that is supporting organisations like Tear Fund. And praise God for organisations like that that are doing the work, but also educating us on what poverty truly is and some of the reasons that poverty exists. But the reason that that clip is so hard-hitting is because it's speaking to us. Because in today's world, our actions have an impact on other people's lives. I don't particularly want to hear about buying cheap clothes and why they're so cheap. Because I'd much rather be able to fill my wardrobe with things that I like and not feel guilty about the workers in India who are not getting a decent wage and are probably only 13 or 14. And so I close my ears to it. It's out there, they're telling me. But that has an impact on me, doesn't it? So when I go shopping, what's the lens in which I'm buying my clothes through? Sometimes it's there, and sometimes it's not. Because sometimes it's something I really like. And so I'll close my ears. And other times I am much more ethically minded. But I have to go in that frame of mind. Today I am only going to look at, or I will ask the question of. And so if we're going to care about injustices in the world, some of our response will be in our own behaviour and in our own actions. And that really begins to hit, doesn't it? Buying seasonally. It's great that you're sitting there. Get your vegetables locally, in season, rather than having them flying all around the world. Because I might like to eat 
mange too in the middle of winter. But when I think about what it's cost the planet, as well as the workers, for me to be able to eat that, we live with privilege. And we might not think we do, but that's why that clip is difficult. Because actually we live in the privileged West and our actions and our behaviour are impacting on the rest of the world. So number one, what do I need to do? What do I need to do in my life to change some of my behaviour? And rather than thinking I've got to do it all at once, what, what one step could I do today? And it might be buying a veg box from Phil. <laughs> we get a veg box but it's not from Phil but we have to work on it (laughs) we've had veg boxes for a very very long time and that idea of you don't know what your vegetables are going to come and you just cook seasonably is really exciting at first it's a challenge when you get a cold rabbi and you think I have no idea what to do with that but actually there's a challenge in that buying seasonable vegetables is quite a good idea enough of the advert Phil (laughs) But what one thing could I do? And that, the sustainability group is helping us on that, and I'm really grateful. And that's where we see that these marks of mission all mingle up. You know, they, they don't just sit in silos. They, they mingle up. So let's listen to what the sustainability group are saying to us and think, what one small thing could I do to change my behaviour that will actually impact on justice and affect people's lives around the world? What might we need to do as a church to be educated and understand. Charles Spurgeon said this. He was a famous Baptist preacher. He said, The Christian preacher carries a Bible in one hand and a newspaper in the other and reads them both. So that's a challenge to us as preachers. Are we preaching the word related to everyday life? Is the passage I'm speaking on also relevant to what I'm reading in my newspaper and speaking into those situations? The church has spoken out a lot around the Grenfell Tower disasters. And that's really exciting to see a political voice responding to a real situation. Based in scripture, speaking God's word, but into a real situation. How can we, as a congregation, read our Bibles and our newspapers hand in hand and see how they come together? That I'm not just reading scripture in my quiet time for however long in the morning and it doesn't make any difference to the rest of my day. Theological reflection, what is God saying in all the situations that I'm seeing and are coming around me? We could do that more as a church. Speaking out, that's a challenge. I remember my mother was part of an amnesty group and... um, she would be part of letter writing. And, and as a teenager, I thought, you know, it's a bit of a waste of time. But actually, she was willing to, to write letters to governments around the world, speaking into situations of people who have been in prison wrongly. And it does make a difference if enough people do it. There are simple ways in which we can do that. We don't need to be going around with placards. But how might we speak out against injustice? Sometimes there are petitions that it's good to sign. I sometimes struggle with the idea of signing a petition. But actually sometimes I need to think about, is this something to do? Do we do that as a church? How do we speak out? How do we inform our prayers for those of you who lead intercessions? How do we bring into praying together as a church heartfelt prayers for justice and praying out against structures that are unjust? 
so that together we are holding them before God. Not necessarily with the answers, but coming before him and saying, help, Lord, we see this is wrong. Would you show us what we can do? And we come humbly together before him. And as I say, supporting those organisations that are doing a lot of the work and using the material they have. CARE is a really good organisation, a Christian organisation that works in Parliament. And you can sign up and get their newsletters and they will speak into some of the the bills that are going through Parliament that I I could never understand. But they'll give a snapshot and say, here's how a Christian might respond to this bill that's going through. And here's a way in which you might be able to do something. So many ways in which we can be involved, starting with ourselves and our behaviour. Thinking as a church, what do we do and how do we respond? And then thinking through some practical ways. This could take a whole year of sermons. So this is just a snapshot. Raising questions without many, many answers. But what I do see is Jesus caring deeply, being political, and longing to see transformed societies. And he calls us to play our part in that. Amen.